Hello, you're listening to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. This is Dan coming to you from the studios at DTM Enterprises, which is really just my little wood shop in my backyard. Uh, since uh, Tony, we're going to listen to Tony's story today, and since uh, his recording, we have had a couple things happen that I want to make sure I talk about prior to uh, his podcast. Uh, three things quickly. One is uh, books come out by James Christopher Cohn called 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. It is a foundation of the juice you're hearing when you listen to these podcasts and the changes in the lives that people are having is uh, through this 12-step process. And specifically, many of them through this uh, process that's in the 12-step spiritual recovery book. So you can get that on Amazon. That is James Christopher Cohn, 12-step spiritual recovery. The music you're hearing around the podcast before and after is uh, by Darren Frank, a brother of ours. Uh, Some of the producing has been done by Jesse Simpson, another brother of ours. And uh, finally, uh, we just invite you to come to spiritualunderground.org. We have uh, show notes there, and you can see pictures, put faces with the names of the people you're listening to, and uh, also a contact me page. That, uh, if you have any feedback, I'm uh, welcome the feedback, and I'd also, uh, if you want to uh, get on a list here, if you're local here, Louisville, Kentucky area, and would like to uh, be on one of the Spiritual Underground podcasts, you can click that link, and that e- would email me. And finally, on that point, if uh, you need some help that we may be able to deliver. Um, point you in the right direction uh, well, if you're struggling with addictions any kind of spiritual sickness ma- uh, manifestations at all uh, you can click that too um, relatively available guy so uh, I will be seeing those emails so without further ado I will let you hear Tony's story Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. This is Dan coming to you once again from the uh, wood shop at DTM Enterprises. We've turned it into a little podcast studio. And uh, and actually, for the last couple of days, uh, well, last weekend I started. I don't even remember if it was last weekend or not. I'm in a circle. But today I finished up a, a table, a big, mahog- big, giant mahogany table, man, that I'm using for my podcast. So we're breaking that in. Uh, Nick and I used it a little bit the other night. And, uh, but I didn't have any, all it was was the big board. We had just sitting on sawhorses the other night, and now I've got a skirt on it and legs and everything. I'll have to spend some time finishing it. Uh, really jacked up about how it's turning out. Um, a couple different things. Uh, we'll get like a couple of little commercials out of the way first. Uh, some, uh, by the time you hear this, this will be a little bit older news, but the uh, today on, uh, what is it, Sunday, February the 17th? Is that what it is? Um, Christopher Cohn's book, 12-step spiritual recovery hit Amazon and is for sale as of this morning. Uh, once again, I, th- I had to put his name Cone. I put his last name in when I searched for it, but you can find it on Amazon. I'll put a link to it on the uh, website too. So while we're talking about that, I'll put a link to it on uh, spiritualunderground.org. You can also find links to all the uh, to the to the podcasts, uh, pictures of the guys, so you can kind of put a face with a name on it. A little bit of show notes, and then also there's a contact page if you want to send me any feedback or uh, you're interested in having your story told here on Spiritual Underground Podcast. 
Um, so with that, uh, we'll move right up to the guests for today. Today we have uh, Tony in the studio. Uh, we actually have a couple other guests and uh, that are uh, with us today. Uh, Brad's with us and Brandon's with us, just uh, hanging out and, and observing and giving some energy over to the to us as we as we record this thing today. So welcome to all of those guys. Uh, Tony just uh, crossed over in January, two years of continuous sobriety. Yes. Uh, he's got had some sobriety in the past, and uh, he'll I'm sure that'll go through his story. I am just totally uh, just jacked to have you come in, coming in. We've been talking about it and trying to figure out a way to get you in here. And uh, finally got the scheduling worked out, so uh, we're trying to work everybody through and uh, get this uh Get these regular old Joes in here to tell their stories because uh, we do have something magic at Spiritual Underground and, and what's going on around town. So uh, with that, Tony, I will start like I start with everybody. Every guest is here so far. Uh, let's just start with your sobriety date. All right. Well, I'm glad to be here, first of all. Uh, my sobriety date is January 5th, 2017. It's actually my second sobriety date. Um, my first sobriety date when I really tried to get into AA and do the program was uh, May 19th, 2014. Um, so three years in between those two sobriety dates or about, a little about, less. Yeah. I had about two and a half years the first go around. Uh, stopped going to meetings, uh, rested on my laurels. Uh, thought I had knowledge, you know, that I could do something different. Yeah, it pretty much led me back to the rooms. So that's you know, what happened between the sobriety dates. Uh, yeah, that uh, standard, that's a, almost a broken record player thing of stopped going to meetings. Yeah, that is. Uh, oh, stop, stop calling my sponsor. Yeah. Uh, finish the steps. Yeah, there's a recipe for uh, <laughs> for relapse, and, and it includes stopping going to meetings and stopping calling your sponsor, that's for sure. Yes. Um, I definitely don't regret it. It taught me um, a lot about myself and um what i needed to do to continue to be sober that it wasn't you know over that you can't complete the 12 steps you know it's uh designed for living you know so uh, i guess i'll start back at the beginning um i always felt different uh, i always wanted to prove myself always wanted to fit in and uh that would cause me to do some things that regular people wouldn't consider doing. Uh, I guess, you know, I got into fights because people wanted somebody beat up just to prove that, you know, I was strong, um, that I was loyal to somebody, that I could do something that not everybody would do. Um, silly stuff like that that I'm not necessarily proud of and that I look back on it now it's just it's kind of silly you know now I'm comfortable with who I am and I'm okay you know if somebody asks me to do something crazy or something that's against my morals I'll tell them no right and if you don't like me that's your problem yeah there's another couple of bell ringer kind of things that you hear one of them is I had trouble fitting in uh, I didn't feel like I could belong. I didn't feel like I was a part of. Uh, and then uh, that the, the not being able to speak my truth. So when you ask me to do something, I can't say no. 
Right. right? I don't know how to speak my truth. Right. I feel like you're not going to like me if I, tell, if I tell you the truth, if I tell you the way I 100% feel, you know. I would have to do what you asked me to do to get your approval to make me feel better. Yep. And uh, that's not the case anymore, and I'm grateful, <laughs> uh, extremely grateful, because, you know, you get it. Honesty. I think one thing the program's taught me is honesty. You know, you don't have to worry about what you said. You don't have to go back and cover stuff up. It's uh, it's real powerful when you can be 100% honest with somebody and not feel like they look down on you or they judge you or anything like that. Yeah. So, um, I made some notes because I was trying to go through my story. This is the first time I'm able to actually sit down and tell my story to anybody. Yeah. You haven't spoke. You haven't spoke at a podium. I have not spoke. We'll, um, we'll have to get you doing that too. Then I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm, uh, this is a lot easier atmosphere, certainly sitting here. And as it starts getting to going, it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to practice that, you know, to get sure. a little bit, get one under your belt instead of being up in front of a room of people. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I do not like to speak in front of crowds, uh, small groups of people. I don't mind, but actually speaking to a, a whole meeting of people, I, I don't know why, but I just don't. I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah, no, never have been. You know. But I'm sure to get easier, like you said, the more you put yourself out there, vulnerability, all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, I can remember back, it was around the third grade, that um, my elementary school teacher thought there was something wrong with me. So they had the parents in, and she spoke with my grandfather about it, and they thought I was dyslexic. So... I don't know if that's if I had a mild case of dyslexia or if, you know, that was part of my disease coming out at a young age. Um, but that's something that sticks out in my mind. Um, I'm sure that's another thing that uh, certainly doesn't make you feel a part of. It doesn't help to do that. No, and it made me feel different, yep. you know. Not in a good way. Right. <laughs> so just like I had to, you know, they said, you need to work a little bit harder to, to keep up with everybody else pretty much. So that kind of was what I went with because I wanted to be at least baseline, you know. I always wanted to be better then, but. Hell, I'll settle for normal. Yeah. <laughs> normal work. Um, I met a friend in middle school. Um, just fast forward a little bit. And uh, we started smoking weed after class pretty much every single day, you know, two middle school, middle school aged uh, kids going to uh, going to the dope dealer's house after school. I'm sure it didn't look suspicious to anybody uh, every day, you know. Um, so we we would do that. We thought it was cool to uh, watch the Wizard of Oz and listen to Pink Floyd and, you know, all that. All that kind of stuff that they look tell for you that, Look for that one guy hanging off the rope yeah, in the back of the, the shadow. Oz and, uh, <laughs> there's some uh, song you synced up with. Uh, it's Pink Floyd. Is it? It's the sing? album. Is the it? complete album, okay. supposedly. <laughs> so, you know, we, we wanted to do that. and It's funny because my friend, at least that I know of, he's currently in the program as well. And uh, so m imagine that. 
to fast forward a little bit, I guess, um, between middle school and high school, um, I developed a, a bad pain in my lower back and, uh, it took doctors about four or five years to, to find out what was going on and to diagnose it. And they finally found out that I had a, a tumor growing in my lower back. Oh, wow. It wasn't, um, they didn't know if it was cancerous or not. And that's what they told my parents and my parents never relayed information to me. You know, they kind of kept it to themselves. I knew I was going to have to go in to an operation and have a procedure, but um, I didn't know, I guess, what could possibly be the outcome of it. So um, I finally ended up going in for surgery, and it was originally scheduled as a biopsy, and the day of, they decided to remove 90% of it while they were in there. So it was a long, long surgery. I was in ICU for like two weeks. Um, a lot of medication. <laughs> How old were you? A lot of painkillers. Um, at that time, I was 12 years old. Wow. And uh, so they completed the operation. Obviously, I survived. <laughs> so it um, was it cancer or just a tumor? It turned out to be non-cancerous. Um, it was a tumor located around my pelvic bone, where and what was causing the pain is where the nerves came through. It was growing and putting pressure on the nerves. So two years after that, it had grown back because they had me coming back in every, I don't know, six months or so to to keep watch on it. And uh, it had grown back. So when I was 14, I had to go back in and have another procedure done. So uh, a lot of drugs, a lot of painkillers, you know, morphine, all that stuff prescribed painkillers after I got out um, I never really noticed I liked the way they made me feel but I never really kept going you know I would smoke weed occasionally I really wasn't drinking yet but um, after I got off the, the pain meds that the doctor had given me I, I seemed to be alright it's been a long time, so it's kind of hard to remember all the details. Um, you recall, though, liking the pain medication at that point? Yeah, it helped me. Um, and one thing, to backtrack a little bit, one thing, I, I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up at night in pain before I had the procedure done, and uh, my mom would make me a hot toddy to put me to sleep. Yeah, so now I was getting alcohol and opiates at 12 years old. It was before 12, actually, because 12 is when they actually figured it out. So I was probably about 9 or 10. Wow. So I enjoyed the hot toddy. <laughs> some, you know, there'd be some nights where I'd ask for another one, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, I get that. And that made me think that, you know, this could help me. You know, this was helping me sleep. Not necessarily... Uh, I didn't have a constant like whirlwind, you know, the way your mind gets where it just gets to rotating and spirals out of control. Um, I was young, so I really didn't have any real problems, you know, adult issues yet. So, but I did, you know, way before 21 was, I had some things given to me that probably shouldn't give a young kid. 
So, um, let's see. Around 15 is when I started drinking. Uh, I met a guy in high school, and uh, we would go over to his stepmoms, and we could drink as much as we wanted to. Uh, as long as you stayed there, or was yeah. it? Yeah. Well, was, it, so was there no conditions on it? There wasn't really any conditions on it because there'd be sometimes, you know, during the day where we drink and then walk up to the mall. It was over here in Indiana, so yeah. when that mall was more than just Bass Pro Shop. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was a place to be, and uh, I wanted to be there every weekend, and I didn't know why. You know, I like the freedom. I like the ability to do what I wanted to do without having to have any repercussions. Um, I could go there, come home, and my parents would never know unless I told them. So, you know, it was a nice thing to be able to do when you're that young. Yeah. Um, there was times in high school where we'd get a party together and rent out a room uh, at a local hotel and invite people over, and we'd have two or three rooms. It's just nothing but a bunch of underage drinking. And I think part of that was, you know, I wanted to be the cool guy. You know, I wanted to be one of the people that people knew their name, that you looked up to, that could, you know, you were the fun guy. Yep. I can so relate to that, too. I was trying to trying to fit in, <laughs> spending money, spending a lot of time trying to organize this kind of stuff. And What's that know, one book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? <laughs> yeah, we were off on the races trying to do that never heard of that book haven't you it's a dale carnegie book it's a real famous uh self-help kind of like a business world type of thing how to win friends and and influence people might have to check that out i bet it's a bestseller all-time kind of book like that um when i was 17 years old i had a buddy commit suicide wow that was uh using ecstasy and uh he came down pretty hard one night uh, his roommate was a pilot, and uh, his roommate had a gun, and he uh, shot himself in his uh, apartment. So coming down off of the dope, yeah, he he went into some kind of depression kind of thing or something. I mean, we don't know, but that's what he was coming down. He did an OD, and he shot himself. Right. Wow. So we talk all the time about... Uh, in these stories, another common thing is this, you know, in the big book, it says calamity. You know, this trauma, this these things these that hit us, you know, and any one little thing maybe wouldn't push us over the edge, you know, but as we continue to walk along, we've got to put all this crap in a backpack and carry it with us. We don't got any tools to learn how to deal with it. Uh, we walk, you know, we, we find it ourselves walking down this path of using, you know, dope and alcohol to figure out how to handle this stuff. It was a... Uh... Uh, nobody expected it to happen. And uh, I actually went over there like a day later and, you know, there was still blood splatter on the walls. And How old were you then? Like about 17. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, I, I didn't know I had a problem then. And uh, I continued to do the things that I was doing. Uh, I never... Back then, I never tied it to drugs and alcohol, you know, or disease or anything like that. Um, nobody knew what had happened. Um, so that was a tough, tough thing to go through. 
we weren't really really close but you know we hung around in the same group of people so i saw how it affected pretty much everybody that knew him you know even even it went over to his house a few times and you know seeing his mom and it was it was really hard yeah i can't imagine um by that time i was you know hanging out with that same group of people we'd go up to to patoka lake and uh we knew a buddy that had a place up there and we'd go up there and get drunk and high all weekend and uh never one time we seen the lake we probably went up there for about oh, three yeah. years <laughs> that's all we do at an outdoor kitchen you know we you could do anything you wanted up there and you know we we drive about an hour and 45 minutes just to go get fucked up in a different place yeah i uh i grew up on that lake that's it's a nice lake when you actually get out on the lake <laughs> yeah i grew up on it we used to go to it before it was even full of water we would drive around dad where it was going to be you know in the 70s before they built the lake before they filled it huh that's cool um let's see around one, one other thing that comes to mind around 18 years old uh i had to have my wisdom teeth pulled and i had a real strong tolerance pain medication and everything else and i ended up actually waking up while they were pulling my wisdom teeth oh wow it, it freaked the doctors out and they ended up of course putting me back out but thinking about it now i just think about you know all the painkillers and, and different narcotics i've used and just the tolerance level you know for an average person is, is one thing and then you know so it was something interesting that i thought about um Around my home life, I always pretty much had to walk on eggshells. You know, anything that was important, um, was serious, you couldn't bring up, especially if it was, if it made somebody else look negative. So, for a long time, I really haven't been able to, like you said earlier, speak my truth about certain situations and, uh, that's something that I, now I'm beginning to learn, and uh, I'm using as a, I have a new family now, um, using those principles and to like try not to to let that happen, you know. So just turning something negative into a positive, or at least trying to. Um, I was always taught, you know, if you're related to somebody, that's you stick by them. It doesn't matter the circumstances. So, um, and that's another thing that I'm learning is that that's not necessarily true. You know, if you're still in my peace or if you're taking advantage of what I have to offer, then I don't have to be in a relationship. I can set a a healthy boundary and, you know, maybe not necessarily cut them off fully, but um, be able to handle them on my terms and when I could. I also had a uh, a spiritual healer that was in my life, um, a shaman that would realign my chakras, and he he's done some other work. Um, back used, then, yeah, yeah, this is back when I was like eighteen. Huh. Um, he was a friend of the family's, and I didn't really attribute that to the spiritual side of things. I was just kind of like, you know, it's something different. Um, now that I look back on it it's it makes sense you know um we started getting close and 
he ended up passing away in a freak accident. Uh, he was helping a neighbor trim a tree and fell out of the tree and died. And that was uh, that was pretty tough for me because I really looked up to him. And uh, I can only imagine how our relationship would have kept growing, you know, or what could have happened with me if I would have kept, you know, down that path. Yeah, right. Yeah, to have him, uh, his continued influence in your life could right. have uh, changed some trajectory. Definitely. It very well could have. Um, uh, let's see. So, I guess fast forward a few years, I ended up enlisting in the military. Um, I always wanted to make something of myself. Um, I didn't really have any real vision of where I was going to go or uh, much hope for staying at home. You know, I wanted to get away. That's, that's what I wanted to do. And I thought if I if I moved or I changed my circumstances in that way, something had to get better. At least that was my way of thinking. Um, I know I keep on coming back to it just because it helps me with the timeline. Did you go in the military? Did you sign up when normally like out of high school, like 18, or was it a little further along? I was like 17 and a half. Okay, so, so you actually, were still in. You were young. Well, I graduated when I was 17. Did you? Yeah, me too. But uh, I entered the delayed entry program, so you actually sign up and you don't actually go in for like six or nine right. months or yeah. whatever. But basically you went in after right after high school, the, the typical type of thing in a sense. Well, I, went in, I actually went to – college for a little bit for automotive tech and then realized that I didn't want to work on people's cars you know I'd rather work on planes so it kind of steered me into the military yeah but in high school in the Air Force I was in the Air Force in the high school uh I was in JROTC all four years oh were you and it was an army JROTC oh was it but uh same same sort of principles same sort of discipline you know Uh, actually more discipline I'd say than the Air Force was (laughs) because uh it was led by a sergeant major so he's pretty pretty hard on some high school kids <laughs> yeah which is uh rightfully so i needed that oh we yeah. didn't have it um i guess one thing that i left out is uh i was pretty depressed when i was a teenager um i had some tendencies of like self-mutilation uh piercings uh cutting cutting my wrist uh i was on antidepressants for a while oh yeah um which they to my knowledge, didn't really seem to work. <laughs> really? But I was on them. Um, and uh, I don't know what happened, if I grew out of it or, or what, if it was just a teenage deal or what. But um, I've since stopped doing all that. Yeah, and I'm they, not you don't remember, recall any relief from them? You said it didn't seem to work. Maybe some. I know they changed them a few times, I guess, to find you know what might work for me. Um, it's so, interesting that you got diagnosed as having a, you know, because that's kind of a typical thing too. Depression. That, uh, well, yeah. Well, they look at it. You know, alcoholism can look a lot like that. You know, uh, you're they're trying to find. You know, again, you you, where it is. It's a mental illness, and we're we're trying to figure out what tells wrong with us. You know, and they don't only got so many tools. And if you're a kid like that, the last thing they're thinking is this. Right. Especially if you're not honest with them. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to tell them the truth. You're smoking dope every day and, you know, whatever else you're doing. Right. So right. you look like you're depressed. 
you know? And so what do they got? You know, when everything looks like a nail or when everything, when the only tool you got to hammer, everything looks like a nail. It makes sense now that, you know, and kind of look back on it. It's just, I was uncomfortable, you know, yeah. I was well, uncomfortable in my own skin. As Nick and I were talking in the part when he was in yesterday and was and did his, and you know, the further, the, the further down the path of recovery, I get the more clarity I get on my past. You know, so this stuff starts like coming to light that I didn't really see as I get, you know, like I said, as I, as I, as I get more clarity in my future, I also begin to get more clarity in my past at the same time and start seeing some things back here and going, oh, that's what that was. You know, right. uh, looked like something else, looked like a depression. What it really was potentially was uh, this disease getting hold of you. It makes sense. Um Potentially, I'm not saying that's the case for you, but, but it um, makes sense to me. <laughs> now that I look back on it, you yeah, know, you tell the 18 yeah. year old, 17 year old self that I'm, you know, yeah, talking uh, to a crazy man, you right? Know? Yeah, I don't have a drug problem. Even if you told the truth, you'd say you didn't, right? Because right. the fact of the matter is, you probably didn't yet, <laughs> right? Um, I ended up experiencing another loss in my life uh, right after I uh, enlisted in the military. I uh, found out my grandfather was having an affair on my second grandmother, um, and and he ended up picking up his stuff and pretty much moving overnight to a different state. Oh, really? Like, uh, didn't say bye, you know, didn't let us know what was going on. Um, I seen a few Christmas cards towards the earlier years when he did this. Uh, this was, you know, pretty much 14 years ago, and then uh, I've since tried to reach out to him i wrote him a letter when i first got into the program back in uh, 2014 and he called me uh once and told me he called me back and and never did but mm -hmm. uh you know it's just i don't know I try to figure stuff out you know that you don't understand and it's uh i just don't get it i don't get how you can leave everybody and not at least tell them what's going on and say bye you yeah. know so it's something that uh I don't ever want to do. So, um, about a week before I left for the military, I met my biological father for the first time. And, uh, that was interesting. Uh, how that came about. I walked in on my mom one night crying and finally asked her enough what was going on that she told me. And, uh, She asked me if I wanted to meet meet, uh, meet him, and of course I was curious, so I said yes, and uh, it was a little disappointing. Was it? <laughs> it was a little disappointing. He's pretty much full-blown alcoholic, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I met him, went over there a few times, and uh, enlisted, and when I came back from the military, I hung out with him a few more times, and I ended up deciding that... Uh, I didn't want that. I didn't want that in my life, so I walked away from it. Um, so, walked away from the biological father from the relationship. Any kind of relationship yeah. in there? Yeah, was it ever reestablished or? No, it wasn't. Um, interesting story. I found out back when I was making amends after I worked the steps. Uh, I looked him up and I kind of wondered if he was still alive because the way he was living. Um, I don't want to be surprised if he wasn't. And uh, I found out he went to prison, and he was charged with murder. 
it was dropped supposedly to manslaughter and uh so i signed up for the notification program that lets you know when people get released yep and uh i found out he got released it's probably been i don't know a year now something like that a year really? and a half and uh so he's somewhere around louisville and uh it's kind of funny because i got an email like two weeks ago that said so-and-so has been released and uh, I always wondered if his stint in prison, he might have made use of the Department of Corrections programs and possibly bettered himself. Because um, I know, you know, AA's in prisons. and uh, But it looked like he had gone back and then went back uh, at least to jail. I think he went to jail that time. So I don't know for what. But so... Um, I guess to backtrack a little bit, I was in the, ended up being in the Air Force for one year and two days. I signed up for six years. Oh, really? I was in for, for one year and two days, and uh, I didn't know what was going on with me, but I was uncomfortable. Um, I was under the legal age to drink, so I didn't have that going for me. Yeah. You couldn't use drugs. You could you could do mushrooms or you could do cocaine because <laughs> three days, you know. Because it's out of your system quickly. It's out of your system in three days. So if you if you know you just got hit with a drug test or you know it's Friday afternoon, you know, you could risk some of that, you know. And uh, I just wasn't into any of that. So I didn't have anything. Uh, didn't have any medicine. Yeah, I didn't have anything to make me feel right. And I was far away from home, and uh, I ended up cutting my wrist, and I got sent to a mental institution for 72 hours. And uh, that was interesting <laughs> to see the, the kind of people that really need to be in there. <laughs> yeah. This was while you were in the, in the Air Force they sent you to the... This was while I was in the Air Force, and uh, I ended up coming back pretty much, and the commander said do you want to continue to be in the military? And I pretty much told him no. And they gave me an honorable discharge, and uh, which was good, which was unusual to get for a short stay like that. Yeah. And uh, I went through all the out-processing stuff, and I ended up moving back home. At that time, I was in Florida. So, um, but I ended up going back to, back to Louisville. Uh, I had found out that my mom was drinking a lot. My stepdad told me um, while I was gone that she, her drinking picked up. So, and then I, I was engaged. I had a fiance back here. Uh, and that was all falling apart because of the long distance. So, I was going to come back to Louisville and I was going to fix everything. <laughs> Another geographical cure. Right. Well, I was going to fix my relationship and my mom and... You know, to my, my knowledge, my mom still drinks, and I'm married to a different woman now, so if that tells you how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, now I realize I don't have any control over situations like that, so that's, uh, that's definitely a blessing, you know. Yeah. Part of the powerlessness thing of getting with that. It's not just, uh, it's not just our... Drugs and alcohol that we're powerless against. There's a lot of other life things that uh, 
we simply have no control over. Drivers. Yeah. That comes to mind. At least heading on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I get home, I get out of the military, and I pick up pretty much where I left off. You know, I'm back to smoking weed. And I can drink now because I'm not under watch of, you know, a fear of, you know, catching charges for, for drinking at my parents' house or, you know. So, um, you know, I always had this unhealthy relationship with money. I always wanted to be rich or, you know, have way more money than I ever needed. So um, I get back and I... I start selling drugs you know because i'm gonna make all kinds of money selling drugs at least that's what happens in my head and uh first start out with weed and then you know later on selling cocaine and pills and you know whatever i can get my hands on to make some money um i would use some and then i would sell and you know i would make a little bit of money i would continue to feel good myself and uh I would help other people. At least that's the way I thought about it. And uh, I started associating with different crowds of people, you know, when I started getting into that stuff. Uh, A lot of people that just wanted your money, you know, or, you know, you to do something for them that they would benefit off of. There's there's another phrase, and I thought about it the other day, and somebody was talking about it, uh, we start associated with lower company. Is that what they call it? I can't remember something of that. Companion? Lower companions. There we go. There we go. Brandon is on it. Yeah. I ended up starting college because I had part of my GI Bill. So it made sense for me to use it since I paid some kind of money for it. Yeah. Uh, um, ended up running into a couple groups of people that what they did was they party on the on the weekends, you know, and uh, they had a house, and we would go over there, and you could pretty much do whatever you brought with you, or whatever they had too. So, um, I would go to school full time during the day. I would work third shift full time at night, and then I would get fucked up on the weekends, and that was my. That was my life for about a year and a half, um, which clearly wasn't sustainable um, for anybody to do, even if you're younger, uh, sleeping like two or three hours a night and then, you know, blacking out on the weekends. Uh, Yeah, that is not sustainable. So about halfway through my college, my associate's degree, I ended up taking – taking some time off and I went to a treatment center here locally. I don't know if I could say names or not. Yeah. Um, I went to Our Lady of Peace for the first, for my first treatment and they had me do outpatient. Um, I was still drinking. I was still using drugs. Um, I was associating with people that would sell meth and cocaine. Uh, decent quantities uh and it was always at my fingertips whatever i wanted um so uh i got honest one day at the treatment center and i told him i said 
I go home every day and get fucked up. This was like two days after a woman that was going there ended up dying because she drunk herself to death. And I never understood it because she had a young kid. They had, they were well off. And I always thought to myself, if I had enough money, I'd never do any of this. <laughs> At least that's the way I thought, you know. I didn't understand the disease yet. But she ended up dying. And the next day, the day before I was honest, um, the lady at the treatment center so said she would she would have really wanted you to succeed. That hit me pretty hard. I didn't know how to take that because I really didn't know the girl that died um, just from the meeting. And uh, that was that was pretty tough to hear. Yeah. And uh, what they ended up doing, they ended up kicking me out. Really? They kicked me out of treatment for saying I go home every day and get fucked up. Yeah, well, yeah. part of those treatment center things is abstinence. Uh, generally, uh, that's a requirement. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. They weren't know, testing you or anything? No, no. I'm surprised the inpatient wasn't offered, you know, or maybe they knew, maybe they got the feeling that I wasn't 100% serious about it because I wasn't, you know. Um, yeah, you wonder about what they maybe asked you some questions or something, and you know you gave the answers that indicated you weren't ready to stop. It could that could have been the case, but that was kind of my first stint of uh, halfway trying to to better myself. I still didn't know I had a problem. Um, uh, I started using a lot. You know, after they kicked me out, uh, I was still smoking weed. I was still drinking. I was moving to cocaine. Uh, I worked at a job here uh, for an engineering firm, and I was snorting cocaine in the bathroom early in the morning. Uh, that's kind of when I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's kind of getting out of hand now, you know. And uh, that was a little eye-opening for me. So I ended up. Losing my apartment, I moved out. Uh, I moved, packed all my shit up. I kicked the dude out that was living with me that was selling the drugs. Like, I just locked the door. Uh, I locked the door. I took a sleeping pill after I packed my shit up. And I slept on a couch uh, in the living room for, like, I don't even know, 14, 16 hours straight. Uh, they came over a few times trying to get in to get their stuff. I don't know if the drugs were still there or if they just needed some of their own stuff. But uh, I remember hearing them trying to get in. And I was halfway in, halfway out of it. And I was just kind of like, fuck them, you know. And uh, so I continued to sleep. And then around the third or fourth time they come over, I finally get up and I let them in. And tell them, you know, here's the deal. I'm, I'm moving out. You know, you got to get your stuff and get out. And... uh that kind of ended my relationship. I cut off my supply of those type of drugs uh, and ended up moving back home. And 
still still continue to smoke weed, still continue to drink. Um, but I cut out all the, the heavy drugs, you know, then, because I was like, this is just leading me down a bad path. Still, yeah. still not tying everything together, you know. Um, I went back to school, and I completed my degree after I moved back home, which is something I'm pretty proud about because I learned about the statistics of people that drop out of class and the ones that go back and actually finish. And, yeah. And that's not very good. Yeah. Especially, you know, not if you're dropping out cause you're doing dumb stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up going back, uh, finished my degree, started working, um, in the field and, uh, Things were going all right for a little while, and I decided to go back to decided to go back to college. So I ended up leaving. Well, I guess I got into. I said things were going good for a little while. I got into a group of people that was doing some some bad stuff. Uh, they were robbing people. Um, they were the type of people you don't trust. Like they you you cross them, they'll kill you. And uh, so I decided to go to college, and I decided to move to Western Kentucky. And I went to WKU for a little while. Had to get out of Louisville, let shit cool down. Um, when I went to Western, I didn't have any ability to get any drugs. The only thing I could get was alcohol. So that's kind of when that's kind of when my drinking went from what I would consider not too much to a lot more. Um, I really didn't have anything else but drinking. And to be honest with you, the way I looked at drinking was that it was legal, you know. So as long as I'm continuing to do what I had planned for that day, whether it's class, school, you know, um, as long as I handle my responsibilities, you know, why would I quit, you know. I could go as long as it wasn't Sunday before one, one p.m. You know, I could get alcohol until four in the morning. So um, I went to Western. I lived in the dorms. Uh, I kind of isolated myself away from other people. Um, I didn't seek out any fraternities. I didn't. You know, I was one of the. This was in 2010, so this was nine years ago. So I was older than your average college age um probably one of the oldest ones in the dorm to be honest with you um because there was a lot of younger a large group of younger people there was uh people that were going back to school to finish things up you know in your class but as far as living on campus i think i think i was one of the older ones um so i had a roommate which was interesting uh we pretty much lived in a closet oh yeah <laughs> i think the room might have been 40 square feet i don't know uh so that was interesting um i did a lot of drinking i went to class uh had good grades um and there was a few bars around town that i would frequent um western's a relatively small town especially s compared to louisville um so when i was up in Louisville, before I went down there, I would drink and drive all the time, you know, um, really never got into any, any trouble up in Louisville. Um, I would black out 
and not realize I drove home. I would get so drunk. Uh, so I moved to Western and I'm there for a semester and the next semester starts and I ended up meeting a few people. Um, Louisville and Kentucky was playing one night and I walk into a bar, uh, about half gallon of whiskey down before I show up and I'm the first one in the bar about five o'clock. So, uh, that was the night I got an aggravated DUI. Um, ended up running into a group of people that I knew and, uh, it didn't really turn out well. I was pretty drunk. I did some things that I shouldn't have, uh, and I ended up leaving because I had a fear that something was going to happen, uh, some kind of retaliation for, for the kind of things that I did to people. Um, when I did, I pulled out of the parking lot, I pulled in front of a car, and there was a cop following that car because they thought they were drunk. <laughs> so he ends up pulling a U-turn. I've seen the police video, that's how I know. Um, he pulls a U-turn and uh, pulls me over. And this bar was literally like right off of camp campus boundaries. I was probably less than a mile away from the parking garage to get to my dorm room. Um, I get locked up. I had an open container. Had my gun in my truck, loaded. Uh, I blew a point two seven three. That'll get you in jail. <laughs> uh. Pretty much my attorney said he thought we had a case because the driving wasn't bad until I stepped out of the truck. <laughs> if that tells you anything. So uh, that was kind of my first notable repercussions of my using. Um, I went to drunk take. This wasn't the first time I've been to jail. It was the first time I've been to jail in Western. But uh, I was in the drunk tank and seeing the judge the next morning. And they pretty much asked me if I had anybody that could bail me out. And I said, no, of course, you know, everybody was in Louisville. And uh, I would prefer them not to know what was going on. So they ended up releasing me. Um, One thing the judge said to me that stuck with me was, uh, you could have killed somebody. Mm. So that hit me. Um, I never really thought about anybody else, you know, I was just thinking I need to get home. I was thinking about myself. Um, they ended up letting me out. I think this all happened on like a Friday. Uh, so I was able to make it back to class, um, before class started. They impounded my truck. So I had to walk from the police station to Western which really isn't that far of a walk, surprisingly. Um, But that really stuck with me. So I said, I got to get the hell out of Western. (laughs) This town, this town's too small. Uh, You know, all these excuses. Um, Instead of what the real problem was. So you seem to have had a location issue a lot. Wherever you were at was not a good place to be. It's very true. Yeah, find a common denominator there. <laughs> but uh, so I moved. I moved back to Louisville, and I attended Western for another semester, and I took some online classes. Um, but I never told my parents what had happened. Uh, ended up getting my truck back, and luckily they let me keep my license because I didn't have any other way to get back 
home. So I made it home. They set up a court date, and I ended up going back to court, and they took my license, of course. And uh, I had to complete classes for the DUI. So I kind of got my foot in the door for the program, at least some part of it. So my attorney said, start classes. Uh, I was still in Western. Sorry, I didn't move back home yet. It's been a while. So anyways, I was still at Western. My attorney said, start classes here. You can move back to Louisville and they'll pick up where you where you left off. So I started DUI classes there, went two or three classes, which they're not not too cheap, especially if you're a college student. Yeah. Um, I ended up moving back to Louisville and I went to Interlink there, uh, close to my house to finish up my classes. And the funny thing was, is they told me, you know, we don't transfer people between classes. You pretty much have to start all over. So I wasn't too excited about that, but I ended up completing the classes. And I remember, um, the woman that was doing them, uh, she asked me, you know, are you still drinking? We, yeah, I'm still drinking, you know. I was on probation, and I was, you know, you can't drink. I ended up getting home incarceration and all kinds of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I told her I was still drinking. You know, I'm not driving. <laughs> so, you know, I continued to drink through that, and that was another kind of notable deal where it was like, you know, you probably shouldn't be drinking. Somebody, Somebody else had pointed that out. So, uh, I complete these classes. We go back down to Western. I have my trial. Like I said, they took my license. They put me on home incarceration. Uh, luckily, they let me serve in Jefferson County, which I don't know how that worked out. But uh, So, I was at my parents' house serving my home incarceration. Finally had to break the news to them about the situation, which I got, you know, well, I thought something was going on. I thought something was weird, you know. Uh, so I was honest with them about what had happened. Um, after I completed my home incarceration, I moved in with a friend, um, so I could get rides to work. So I would pay them to take me to work so I could keep my job because I didn't have my license for like three months. Um, that was interesting. So I pretty much did whatever I had to do to try to make things a little easier but it was still all kinds of chaos you know um i finally got my license back and one thing i promised myself is i would never drink and drive again so that was uh that was a rule i made (laughs) how long did that last it was uh it didn't last very long um and I would kick myself, you know, because I never understood why. Back then, I never understood why. I was pretty strong-willed. And if I made a decision or if I decided to do something, I'd do it. But uh, I couldn't quit drinking and driving. If I went somewhere, you know, I'd drink. I'd make I'd say I'd only have a few, you know, and maybe I would some nights, but most nights not. I'd end up drinking more than I set out to do. And uh, I would always drive home, you know, when I was ready to go, I was ready to go. And even if I was with somebody and they were drinking less than me, it would be, you know, my car or 
I would be the one in control. So that uh, so I continued to drink and drive, and I had a few scares over the years. I was actually pulled over, um, coming back from a event, a charity event where I had drunk at, and uh, I probably had too much to be driving. And for some reason, there was one cop car on me, and then a second cop car pulled in. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to jail. You know, you usually don't get two cop cars for nothing. And uh, they ended up letting me go hmm. and never questioned if I had been drinking or anything, which was very surprising to me. Um, so after I completed those alcohol classes, I thought I was done, you know, uh, I wouldn't have any more questions whether or not I'm drinking. Uh, my charges would be gone in like a year. It wasn't a big deal, you know. Uh, so I continued to work. I continued to change jobs. Uh, I wanted to stay anywhere too long. In the military was the longest job I held when I was like 26 till I was like 26. I had a year and two days. That was the longest job I ever had. Um, I would constantly change vehicles. Uh, you know, it, I was never happy with something for too long. Mm. And, uh, so I changed these companies and I, just get to a point where I'm not happy. Uh, regardless of what I'm doing or can't drink enough, you know. People are getting on my nerves. It didn't really matter the uh, the situation, so uh, I don't know what's going on. Um, I found out that my job had an employee assistance program that had counselors and, you know, lawyer assistants and all that. And uh, finally one day I'm like, all right, I got to, I got to talk to somebody and try to figure out what's going on and uh so I called him set up an appointment and I go down and uh it's the first time ever that I was a hundred percent honest with somebody about the way I was feeling about my past about my family history um so I kind of just laid everything out there and uh they for some reason thought I had a problem <laughs> yeah I gave them all the reasons why uh it was other people uh situations money whatever and uh they seemed to think that the problem was me i was kind of like blindsided by that you know 
I never really thought about it that way myself. So, uh, they said, I know somebody at the brook. And if you're willing, I can get, I can get you in there and you can talk to somebody. <laughs> so, that's what I did. They recommended that I do outpatient. Still wasn't an inpatient type thing. Um, and uh, I did. You know, I made the decision to stop drinking because they said that was a requirement. Yeah. I, I really did. I, I said, okay, I won't drink. You know, and I didn't drink at all. I didn't have any. It was amazing. I didn't have any uh, shakes. You know, it's not what you would expect for somebody that had been drinking every single day from when they got home from work to when they blacked out to be able to say, all right, I'm done. You know, it was hard. It wasn't easy. I thought about drinking a lot. What'd you drink mostly? Whiskey. Uh, towards the end of it, I was up to moonshine. Uh, when I entered the brook, I had 17 quarts of moonshine in my closet. Wow. And, uh, I had those in my closet for like three or four weeks after I uh, quit drinking. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it was a backup plan or if it was, you know, what it was, but, you know, I was drinking it and selling it and whatever, you know, so it's. Well, it certainly doesn't make any sense to throw it away, so. Uh... Right, somebody get some use out of it. <laughs> if it's not me. Um, I guess I need to backtrack a little bit uh, about. What made me contact the counselor? Because uh, I had some different things happen in my life that wasn't really <clears throat> typical of me. Uh, I crossed some boundaries with some people that if I wasn't drinking, I wouldn't never crossed. So that's really what started. Me trying to figure out a different way to do things. Because uh, I can relate to that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde line in the book. You know, everything starts out or it's a good day, you know. Then all of a sudden, something turns. You know, so I would always get violent. Not always, I shouldn't say always, but. If I was blacked out, I would have so much anger built up. I don't know if it's fear or what, but I would tend to get violent. And I would hurt people that was close to me. And when that started happening, and when it happened more than once, that was really a turning point for me because that wasn't the kind of stuff I put up with or respected or wanted to do. So I guess that's really what started uh, me trying to look for something different because I was doing the same shit and I was getting the same results. And I knew I wasn't happy, but I didn't know why. So... <clears throat> To fast forward a little bit, I guess uh, I was doing an outpatient deal. Um, 
doing all the worksheets, doing the steps, how they tell you to do the steps, basically. And uh, I never went to meetings. That was one of the requirements. You got to go to meetings. Yeah. You know, it's a good idea to go to meetings before you graduate this program so you have a good foundation to carry you on after you aren't going four or five times a week to to treatment. I think the last week I was in treatment, I finally decided to go to meetings. You know, and that's... I had this fear about meetings. Uh, I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to walk into someplace by myself. I still felt like people were judging me everywhere I went, you know, like I'm special or something. <laughs> and, uh, but I did. I found a meeting on Monday and, uh, I ended up going to that meeting. It was rec- recommended to me by Christopher. Uh, he wasn't my counselor. I went during nights, so I had a different counselor than him. But he actually sat in one time and, uh, it was interesting. He fell in for the nighttime class? He did. Yeah, one time. And it was interesting to see his point of view because it was completely different from the normal counselor. He was definitely more in your face and more blunt, you know. And uh, so he recommended a meeting. And I went to the meeting. Uh, and it took me a little while before I got a sponsor. But... That was my uh, May 19th sobriety date was the day I went into treatment for outpatient. So, as in 14, 2014? 2014, yeah. And then I actually really got, you know, into the book, working with the sponsor, working the steps. Then? Digging up. Once I got into the meeting and got established in the meeting, yes, uh, you know, really digging up shit that bothered me. Uh, my, my first four step was pages and pages and pages. And I never went, a, I never went ahead in the book, so I didn't know that all these people I'm writing down, I'd eventually probably, you know, put my foot in my mouth and it'd be, turn around and be my problem, you know. Cause I held on to it for so long, you know. So, but yeah, I got a lot of stuff off my chest with my first sponsor, and that helped me out immensely. Uh, then I kind of got a feeling that this stuff works, you know. So it led me down the path to to want more, more of the stuff that would make me happy or give me peace. Uh, so I finished the steps with my sponsor and uh, I didn't know what to do you know uh, I didn't know what to do after you went through the 12 steps and you know uh, he was kind of in and out I think he went back out a little bit after we finished the 12 steps and uh, of course I wondered a little bit if it had anything to do with me or something I said you know taking it personally which is kind of silly, you know, now I think about it now, but it's something that happened. And uh, I ended up getting another sponsor. Luckily, uh, there was a guy that went to that meeting religiously. And he, uh, I think he switched his work schedule or something. So he, he had to miss a meeting. And we had a speaker one night. And he, 
He came back and he said, he looked at me, he said, don't go around unsponsored. Good advice. It was crazy because I never really talked to him much. So I found me another sponsor. And uh, went back through the steps. And this By this time, I don't know, probably a year sober or something. I'm pretty much doing the bare minimum, you know. I'm taking care of me. I'm working the steps. I'm going to one meeting a week. I'm not sponsoring. Um, you know, I'm not reaching out to people. I'm talking to my sponsor. I'm trying to keep my side of the street clean, you know. And uh, around that time, we get close to finishing the steps. And I feel like I've done everything that I can do. And I've got all that I can get out of what's going on, you know, because I don't feel any different. Come to realize that I don't, I'm not going after more, so I'm not getting more, you know, I'm just kind of stagnant. And uh, I kind of step away from the meetings, uh, step away from contacting my sponsor, and I end up thinking, you know, I got all this knowledge, just like there's stories in the book, you know, I got all this knowledge of myself and my disease, you know, why not see if I can drink, you know, just on the weekends. <laughs> So, that's what I did. Um, I started out only drinking on the weekends. And, uh, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me, you know, the mental obsession, uh, physical cravings. You know, something that I read in a book, but I never really... I'm the type of person where I got to experience something. You can tell me till you're blue in the face that this is going to happen. And even if it's bad, I want to try it. At least that's been my history. Uh, and then once I experience it and I experience enough pain, then I say, you're right. You know, you were right. I shouldn't have done that. So, you know, I'm learning this stuff and, I think to myself that I probably shouldn't be drinking because <laughs> all this, you know, I'm sitting at work, you know, a drink sounds good. Hey, there's that, you know, it's increasing. It's getting greater. It's getting stronger. I'm feeding the wrong beast. Yeah. So this was months before I even told Ashley, uh, that I probably shouldn't be drinking. She thought I was handling it fairly well. You know, I wasn't doing the same type of shit that I was doing when I first got sober. So, I finally come clean and I reached out to my sponsor that I had before I stepped out. I told him what was going on. And uh, luckily he answered the call And he met me at the meeting that following Monday. It was interesting because it happened to be the night he got his three-year chip. I didn't plan that shit out. <laughs> so, I got to meet him and uh, 
be honest. And I got to see him get his three-year chip. So it was pretty good. That's kind of how I got back into back into the rooms after my brief nine months thinking I can fix manage and control stuff experiment which you know just proved to me further that I need to be here just proved to me further that I need to be here you pause it So I get back and uh, get back with my old sponsor and I end up finishing the steps um, that I started on. And uh, then I find this meeting. Uh, I was ashamed to go back to my meeting (laughs) after I relapsed. Uh, I felt like, you know, people were going to look down on me for for going out, which wasn't the case uh, by any means. But inside I had a fear uh, about it, so I ended up switching my meetings, uh, and that's when I found the spiritual underground, and, uh, you know, it was, I think Brian, I think Brian and Darren both in my past, during my first in a sobriety, recommended the spiritual underground, you know, it's a meeting, you gotta check it out, you gotta check it out, you know, and I was just kinda like, yeah, okay, you know, and I never did, and uh, I'm glad I did because I get a totally different feeling in that room around those people than I did Monday nights. And then it gives me an opportunity to do stuff like this that, you know, I would have never imagined that I'd get to tell my story and, and broadcast it to people. And that they might potentially listen to it. So it's pretty cool. It's uh, going to get listened to. I'll promise you that. <laughs> At least seven times. This is, uh, yeah, it's it's growing. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that kind of led me to, you know, Spiritual Underground. And uh, I've had a couple different sponsors since then. Um, I had one guy that helped me out a lot. That I met at your retreat that you had, you know. Uh, I liked what he was talking about. It seemed to make sense to me. And uh, we sponsored for a little while, you know, and worked the steps and went through there. And I learned a lot from him. Uh, a lot of different information about spiritual teachers. And, you know, it was always a push for meditation because that was something that around the first time, you know, I really didn't do. Uh, not do that now and uh first time all these recommendations i just kind of took them with a grain of salt you know it's kind of like yeah okay that's what you do that works for you that's good yeah yeah i joke around a lot and the guy i've been sharing about that lately there's uh words on that page 58 59 or whatever that absolutely completely thoroughly all those kind of words you know yeah we just pitch them to the side they don't really mean that like all the way do they and they said that half measures avails us nothing. They don't really mean that either, man. I get something out of half measures. Uh, not around here, huh? No. You might 
understand your disease better. Maybe. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully a little bit. But, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So, I've, you know, I try to try to practice this thing. If somebody gives me a recommendation, I at least attempt it. Yeah. You know, and if I don't like it, okay, but try. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It says you have to be willing to let go your old ideas. You have to be able to do that, you know, and to try new things. Uh, quickest way not to get better is to say, you know, no, that won't work for me. Right. Without even giving. And I noticed that in you, no doubt. And I have certainly seen that that uh, of you coming and uh, breaking out of your coming out of your shell and and trying new things and 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 coming to that retreat that time wasn't easy for you. I know that. Uh, you know, that was new to you to come to be uh, come into the fold in that in that way. You know, and I remember the we always have somebody like make some groundbreaking changes in a weekend. You know, and uh, you were you were that guy one one weekend. Uh, made made a, you know you saw a different guy come to the retreat than 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 the guy who left to go home that weekend. Yeah, that's good stuff. You know, getting involved in these extracurricular things that. I never really understood, you know, what the program is or what it consists of. And I don't think anybody has a how-to book as far as, you know, you got to have, you know, so many extracurricular activities to be classified as, you know. But uh, what do they call that in school when you got your. uh, Is that the after class? Yeah, there's a there's a name for the, you know, it's like curriculum, but it's it's not that. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, well, yeah, so yeah, there's not like, but there is. To be honest, there is a recipe for how to do this thing and get the most out of it. Uh, there really is. We well, have that. We know what it is. I tell you that it's helped me than just by going to meetings, you know, and maybe getting a chance to share to be able to be closer to people, you know, in certain situations. I think that's helped me a lot because I always had acquaintances. I never really had, never really had friends, and now I feel like I got some true friends. Yeah, yeah, real friends in this program, and they're become my brothers. Right, you know, they are so close to me today that uh, that, that it's not a friend is not an adequate term. Right. Uh, anymore. Well, I always thought I had friends, you know. Yeah, but. They always wanted something, or I wanted something. There's conditions on everything. For sure. So, that feels really good. And to be able to be open and honest with somebody, you know, if if there's something affecting you negatively, uh, to be able to share that, you know, that's the kind of shit that I really didn't get to do with my family, let alone with my friends, you yeah. know. So, all that stuff has definitely helped me out. Um, uh, my buddy Chris he used to come to the meeting he started a sober riders group uh, I get to be a part of that are you you've been doing same. you've been you also been getting involved in that uh, climbing, climbing. That sober I'd, climbing thing I just came from that did so. you come that from that here yeah, yeah. Don't, a, don't ask me to lift anything yeah there's <laughs> a uh, that's a really cool thing that, that strikes my interest too but like uh, what I found myself here in recovery is I've got so many good things going on that I have to pick and choose what I'm going to do 
And uh, today I'm in a position where if I'm going to pick something new up, I almost have to set something down. Uh, I don't have enough room in my life to add something to right now. Uh, and everything that I've got going on is so freaking cool that, uh, that I'm not willing to put it down right now. But it is, it's an awesome thing that we have all these options and these things, these different ways to plug in right. to the recovery community. And, you know, I have that friend of mine that says, uh, well, a couple of different things. And I, y'all have heard me say it a hundred times, all these little, all these little quirky things that I have to, you know, I need to find things to add to my life that's going to help me improve the quality of my life in recovery. I find things to add to sober climbing, these podcasting, these podcasts, the retreats that I do, or if you attend them, you know, and there's a bunch of different kinds of recovery retreats. The state convention was just, uh, the Kentucky State Convention was just last weekend. You know, that's another way that you get to go out and, uh, and participate. So that's the other thing, you know, I say we add to, you know, and that friend of mine told me I must, he told me, he said, you must participate in your recovery. And today I know that I get to participate in my recovery in so many different ways. Like the thing, the Facebook, you know, I mean, I had never heard about that sober climber thing if it wasn't for Facebook. Right. That's where I got uh, uh, tuned into that, you know, and I can add to them in my recovery because I'm, you know, I'm all, I'm, uh, I'm uh, investing myself into yoga today. They're actually talking about opening uh, something to do with the new token three that they're moving to. And so they're talking about having, you know, like kickboxing, yoga, that classes they offer for people in recovery. Yeah. So this sober climbers is kind of like the, the foundation to that, to roll into things added to. So you might be interested in the yoga part of it. I don't know. Just so you know. Yeah. There's a, there's another there's a thing we're going to in May that's a, a empowerment thing that's a lot of yoga and meditation and, and different you know uh, alternative uh, health kind of things and it's not an AA thing right. but again it's uh, that, that book says I need to enlarge my spiritual life uh, and so these kind of these things are ways that I get to do that you know yoga satisfies two things for me it actually satisfies or you know it, it adds to my spiritual enlargement enlargement my spiritual life and it it uh it covers this physical angle that i think a lot of people aren't really taking you know you see a lot of um how should i say uh that corner of the mind body spirit or how's it go yeah mind body spirit that corner of the triangle the body triangle side of the corner of the side ah that corner of the triangle is not getting satisfied by by a lot of people Right. You know, and so, uh, but the, like the sober climber thing and those things, uh, pulls that into the, to the mix. Yeah. You can definitely always be better, you know, you can always grow and, and, you know, that's one thing. Getting your mind right is one thing, you know, I think it's a great place to start. And then once you do that, you can continue to, you know, so you can grow spiritually till the day you die. Too. You should. So, Yeah. And, uh, those other little things like resting on our laurels. So, you know, it says that uh, we got that daily reprieve continuing on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And, yeah, and it says it over and over again in that book, you know, uh, what the recipe is to, to, to be okay, <coughs> to be better than okay. Because when today people say, how are you? I, it, it's not fair. I can't tell people I'm okay. I'm doing all right. That's not true. I'm doing way fucking better than okay and all right. Uh uh, one of my little pet peeves is when people say, I'm hanging in there. Man, I, I want to be better than hanging in there. I have to be doing better because if I'm just hanging in there, I'm going to fall. 
right. uh, hanging in there means I'm just waiting to, to have some something hit me. Some uh, another quote, big book out the wazoo. Some low, some one of life's certain low spots, trials and low spots is going to hit me. And if I'm just hanging, if I'm just hanging in there, uh, I, I don't think I'll survive. I need to be plugged in a lot deeper than that. You know, last night the guys had a chili cook-off supper thing. A couple weekends ago, we met up at uh, another guy's <coughs> thing for the Super Bowl for a Super Bowl party. Uh, you know, time one time after another, we have these opportunities. Hell, sitting out here tonight, we got this opportunity to sit here and and, and uh, join in a little group and 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 participate in our recoveries in this manner tonight. So, uh, the opportunities are endless. It's just a matter of uh, taking advantage of them and get up off your ass and go do something. Really, that's that's what it boils down to. Um, I don't see anybody getting sober on their couch. <laughs> uh, no. So I know that you've had a uh, baby in recovery. I have. You've got married in recovery. I'll tell you one thing that's funny. that One other reason I don't regret my uh, relapse is that's when Ashley got pregnant. So I got a baby out of it. You know, it wasn't necessarily planned, but it's definitely been a blessing. Yeah. Um, I did get married recently. Uh, back in October. Yep. So um, something that I never thought I was worthy of doing or ever would do. Um, that's been great. Um, and then using my past and using this, these spiritual things that I'm learning to be able to uh, start a family. You know, my son's never had to see me drink. Yep. What a miracle that is. Just in itself. And uh, I'm able to be, I think, a good father uh, and a good husband. That's not the way it was, you know. Yeah. Five years ago, nowhere close. And, uh, you know, people rely on me at work. They ask me questions because um, I got some seniority. <laughs> and uh, if you would have asked me five years ago if I ever thought that would have happened, I would have said no. So there's a lot of a lot of blessings, you know. Yeah, some people say the promises come true. Uh, I personally like to say, you know, to me it's miracles in my life that I get. Don't worry about that, man. No big deal. There's two of them. Uh, he's <laughs> he's shooting baskets and he's trying to. Sh I've got my garbage can kind of hidden behind in a little thing. There's a shop back there and a water cooler, and, and it's not real easy to shoot baskets into that. And I miss it all day long, man. I sit out here in the shop. It shoot baskets into that from wherever I'm standing and eventually go over and clean up the corner so don't sweat that stuff hitting the ground uh, it's a well you saw when you showed up tonight I had sawdust and and drill dust and we I had to do I did a little I don't know what it is but whenever we do this I have this I feel compelled to clean up just a little bit before uh, before we come in here and do this it was floor was covered in sawdust wasn't it yep uh, so yeah, don't worry about a, uh, a little piece of paper over there on the floor. <laughs> Always kind of wondering about what's going to happen with this. Uh, well, I do. I, I like the fact I, you know, I'm sitting out here doing woodwork all day today until uh, until the right up to the edge of the podcast. I mean, I had flipped this big table over. Listen to that, man. Is that freaking cool, man? I mean, is that solid or what? The uh, uh, flipped this table over right before Tony walked in the door, man. I had it upside down. I got a picture of it. I got it upside down while I was putting the legs on it and. 
uh, scooted it off of that sawhorses and flipped it over and did it by myself too, man. I was like, you know, you big dummy, you got to come guys getting ready to be here in a minute. You, they would help you do this, but no, not me. Uh, I'll do it. I got this, right? St still have uh, those alcoholic tendencies uh, laying there, those. I can, I can do it by myself. I got my dad and my son in there. I could have got them to help me. But I do want to make sure that we touch on those miracles of the stuff because I saw you. You know, you went, you got married in Florida, right? Yep. Uh, you know, life completely changed. A whole different picture for you today than what it was some just a few years ago. And uh, for sure, started applying yourself. And I know that. Uh, I mean, well, like you've been through. You've been through the steps like three times since in this two years around. That sounds about right. I'm getting to a point to where it's kind of you know. You ought to run out of gas on it, to be honest. Well, um, you know, I'm getting to a point to where it's not really... I tend to try to keep my side of the street clean. Right. If I have problems, it's usually with somebody that I live with, and I'm around on a day-to-day -day basis because I'm not perfect. Yeah. Well, in my and, first two years of sobriety, my sponsor had me go through the steps twice. Okay. Uh, Once and, a year? And, no, it really wasn't. It was just a, he just said, you know... Uh, Noticed my noticer had turned up a little bit, and I started to notice things that uh, where where the world wasn't going the way according to Dan. And uh, he said, "How about another trip through the steps?" The way I look at that today was that the first time I went through is like cleaning out a horse stall. Is my metaphor I use and go through there and with the pitchfork and get all the big stuff, yeah, and get that cleaned out of there. And then the second time through the steps, I was a little more thorough cleaning. Um, I think I'm actually I'm gonna be I'm due to be going through again here before too long. Uh, just as a maintenance thing, I'm gonna go through with a couple couple guys. We're actually gonna go through with Chris uh, using Christopher's book. Hmm. Uh, three of us are gonna kind of do a little step study. A couple guys had asked me to take them through the steps, and they wanted to wait until Christopher's book come out and go through it in that manner. Cool. So uh, you know, so that I'm gonna go parallel and and go take go through the steps myself. Uh, at the same time with those guys, kind of do a little three-man step study in a sense. I don't think it hurts anything, but like I was saying, I'm getting to a point to where, you know, I tend to keep most of my stuff clean, and if I don't, I pretty much make amends as soon as they yeah. – pr pretty close to when it happened originally. And uh, so I think I'm getting to a point to where I'll be looking for sponsees and, and grow in that manner. Yeah. You know, um, I think Definitely. it's time. <laughs> Definitely, so. uh, Definitely do that. So, yeah. Do you raise your hands on Tuesday? I do. Yeah. We have so many people in there raise their hands, you know, and uh, new guys come in. They got 30 or 40 people to choose from. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like to see you sharing more, too, man. I get over to. that hump a little bit and make a point to get your voice heard. You'll, uh, I think it'll it'll come easier to you as, you as you continue to do that more and more. I think it's getting harder to share, not for the fact that I don't want to, but because the meeting's growing so much. Yeah, yeah, you had to get your arm hand up in a hurry. Quick, yeah, yeah. Somebody said, we well, look like we're, I don't know what he said. I think he's a guy who said, I think I'll, I'll soften it just a little bit from what he said. <laughs> he said it looked like we were bidding on a French prostitute. Uh, everybody's hands going up in the air. <laughs> I think he said something else, but I'm going to leave that word out today. Uh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. No, you know, no, and we say – well, like I said beforehand, we've got a couple words we'd rather not say in here, but that is not one of them. Um, I get the opportunity to check this thing. When I've said put these out there, 
actually tonight, and I think I've I think I've said the F word a couple times, maybe through it. I don't think you have at all. Uh, I don't know if you did or not, but anyway, I check them as explicit. There's a way when you post your podcast, really, you can put a little thing on to let people know that the language is strong or not. Most of ours, are, most of ours is, and and that's okay. I'm I'm perfectly okay with the language. Actually, that's the way we talk when we're hanging out. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sanitizing it because it's going out on the podcast. This thing, I'm, my point here all along has been this thing would be real. Uh, wouldn't be um, cleaned up for the masses. That's not my point. Well, are you? Uh, have you said what you think you need to say tonight? Is there anything? Uh, one of the other kind of things I've been doing is saying uh, we can put out a concluder, which is like a final thought. If you have anything you want to close up, or if there's more, we're well, about an hour and a half now. I think. Uh, to my knowledge, my mother still drinks. Uh, so does my biological father. Uh, my grandmother has mental issues, uh, hoarding, and then, you know, I, I don't know what else. I'm not a doctor, but she's definitely got some mental issues. Um, And I'm still sober. Well, this thing's a family deal, man. There's very few people sit across. You know, I get to hear this, get this honor, being able to hit these stories across the table from me because I hadn't heard yours and, and a few other people sitting around. You know, I've had some guys that are my sponsees actually sit here and tell me their stories and tell, and I'm hearing stuff that I didn't hear, you know, yet. So it's an honor to sit here and listen and hear. And that's one of the things uh, to hear these guys' stories and hear yours tonight, Tony. I really just am honored to, to that you're able to come in and, and share with us what's what you know your your path to recovery. Uh, it is amazing, um, but that common thing, you know, everybody sits here and says, you know, they got it in their family. Oh, it's yeah. coming around from someplace, you know, and uh, you, know, you didn't you. We didn't choose this path, but you know, today I wouldn't give anything else for it. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have in my life what I have today if it wasn't for that that crash and burn and that that deal with the alcohol and the dope and, and then actually getting this opportunity to work these steps and put some principles in my life you know and now we get this chance like you are having uh, of completely changing a cycle man because you get to pass your to your son a completely different new way of living you know yeah. uh, and, and and let him know how to do this how to do this design for living out of the gates you know and and that's world changing it's one thing when us when we get fixed you know we go down our path and we get fixed the bigger thing to me is is to be able to start passing this thing on and these principles on to uh our future generations nobody warned me right nobody told me that this stuff was coming uh, there's that, that that alcohol you know it, Go to the doctor. They ask you like family history of cancer. You know, they ask you these kind of stuff, heart disease. They ask you, you know, all this. They never asked me if I had any history of alcoholism or substance abuse stuff, spiritual sickness. That's a good point. Uh, and you know, I get to I get to sit today and warn my kids. Now, what they do with that information, I don't know. That's not up to me. But at least I can arm them with the facts. And, and let them know that one day, you, you know, the chances of you, uh, someday you're going to have to make a decision if you're going to use that stuff or not. And, and you know, and, and the fact that you're my kids, you got a real high probability that's going to flip a switch in you. And, and it may not seem that it's going to be doing anything to you today, 
but it just may you may have just you know you, you're you're playing Russian roulette with that when you do it, right? And you have to make a decision, but at least they will know, you know, uh, that that's there, not not going to it blindly. So get a chance to do that. You know, you said your son's never seen you drinking that, and never will, more likely. Keep on doing this thing. You get to change uh, get to change lives. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in tonight, man. It's been cool. I appreciate it big time. Uh, thanks, you, thanks, thanks, Brad and Brandon for coming in, sharing your all's energy with us while we're in here. I'll hit uh, just a final one more time, just to remind people that twelve-step uh, uh, spiritual recovery, uh, how to reclaim your original self, soul by Christopher Cohn is now out on Amazon. I'm gonna say that one more time. 12-step spiritual recovery the the subtitle is uh, how to reclaim your original self so um, I'll put a link on the website the website is spiritualunderground.org you can go there and see show notes see pictures of people that have uh, been here put some faces with the with the names and uh, please provide me with any feedback that you might have uh, concerning the show if you want to be on it there's a link a contact me link on there uh, also, uh, while Nick was here the other day, we talked about, you know, if you're struggling with this addiction thing and you want somebody to talk to, uh, hit that contact me, man. Uh, I've got a pretty solid stable of guys that can uh, reach out and talk to people about this if, if you just want somebody to talk to. Um, that is, uh, we'll close it up with that tonight. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Thank you all for listening. We crossed over 700 listens this past couple days, so that is cool, too. Uh, we will see you next time. Peace out.
never play.